This is Party on the Peninsulas, your weekly update on the people and policies leading Michigan, with Michigan Democratic Party Chair Lavora Barnes. Welcome back to Party on the Peninsulas. I'm Lavora Barnes. The word this week, dictatorship. Donald Trump said it out loud. Under no circumstances, you are promising America tonight. You would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Yeah. Except Look, what? He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill, that's drill, not a, that's, drill. That's not a, he says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. So that, okay? that. This comes in the same week that one of the nation's most conservative politicians, Liz Cheney, Dick Cheney's daughter, said she had no doubt that if Trump is returned to the Oval Office, he will not leave, that he is unfit to serve. She sees Trump moving in the direction of dictators he calls friends. In their world, elections are meaningless. The results are predetermined. It's worked that way in Putin's Russia, Xi's China, Khomeini's Iran, and Erdogan's Turkey. Also, in the last week, The Atlantic magazine has taken the unprecedented step of devoting its entire January-February issue to 24 essays on how a Trump-run anti-democracy government would change all of our lives. Trump has already told us a lot about his plans. He would abolish freedom of the press, putting NBC and MSNBC on trial for treason, demolish civil service, and load up the federal government with pre-screened Trump worshipers, give lifetime federal court appointments to right-wing extremists pre-screened by the Secretive Federalist Society, repeal Obamacare, something we discussed in last week's podcast, use the Justice Department and FBI against his political enemies, use the military to shut down peaceful protests, just as he did his first term, when soldiers were brought in to end a peaceful D.C. demonstration, and he would pardon many, if not all, of the hundreds convicted for the January 6th insurrection, including the leaders who were convicted of insurrection. Imagine having someone like Rudy Giuliani as Attorney General and Sheriff David Clark of Wisconsin running the FBI, both charged with investigating and jailing Trump's political opponents beginning with Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, and Adam Schiff. Imagine having General Michael Flynn, a convicted felon, a Secretary of Defense or Head of Homeland Security. The Trump agenda is being written by right-wing extremists even as I speak. The New York Times reported in July that Trump and his allies are planning a sweeping expansion of presidential power over the machinery of government if voters return him to the White House in 2025 reshaping the structure of the executive branch to concentrate far greater authority directly in his hands. Trump's blueprint for amassing power has been developed by a constellation of conservative organizations that surround him, led by the Heritage Foundation and its Project 2025. This plan would elevate personal fealty to Mr. Trump as the central value in government employee processes and institutions. The dangers of Trump have motivated a core group of traditional Republicans to actively work against Trump and his band of MAGA candidates. In a moment, we'll talk with one of those former Republicans who is now devoted to saving our democracy and re-electing Joe Biden and a Democratic Congress. 
But first, an update on the political and policy news this week that has direct impact on Michigan with MDP's Dorian Tyus. In the news this week, U.S. employers added a healthy 199,000 jobs last month and the unemployment rate fell. Fresh signs that the economy could achieve an elusive soft landing in which inflation would return to the Federal Reserve's 2% target without causing a steep recession. Friday's report from the Labor Department showed that the unemployment rate dropped from 3.9% to 3.7%, not far above a five-decade low of 3.4% in April. The jobless rate has now remained below 4% for nearly two years, the longest such streak since the late 1960s. Every vehicle in the state government's fleet must be zero emissions by 2040 after Governor Gretchen Whitmer issued an executive order establishing the goal. Light-duty vehicles will have a target date of 2033 for the transition and 2040 for medium and heavy-duty vehicles. Whitmer's office said the state has roughly 8,750 vehicles in its fleet, but only a few light-duty vehicles are currently zero emissions. The order also calls for building out charging infrastructure at state government facilities. Michigan's one-of-a-kind law that prevented state lawsuits against drug manufacturers is no more. On Thursday morning in Flint, Governor Whitmer signed into law a repeal of a nearly 30-year-old law that gave drug manufacturers immunity if their drugs caused harm for Michiganders. The law enacted in 1995 under then-Governor John Engler, was intended to make Michigan more business-friendly for the biomedical industry like Pfizer, whose largest manufacturing site is in Portage. The drug manufacturer chose a facility as one of the sites to produce the COVID-19 vaccine. The Biden administration Thursday announced five new measures that seek to lower health care costs by promoting competition. This is the latest initiative by the president and congressional Democrats to reduce health care costs, including allowing Medicare to negotiate certain drug prices for the first time and capping the cost of insulin at $35 per month. However, few Americans are aware of these provisions, a recent KFF poll shows. The measures announced Thursday seek to counter the power and practices of big health care companies by allowing the federal government to license drugs or inventions backed by taxpayer funds to other parties if the invention is not made accessible to the public. The proposed framework specifies for the first time that price can be a factor in determining the accessibility of a taxpayer-funded drug or other invention. The Michigan Republican Party filed suit Friday against the trust that controls its former Lansing headquarters and a bank has warned the party that it is in default on a more than $500,000 line of credit. The lawsuit filed by GOP Chairwoman Christina Caramo in Ingham County Circuit Court effectively pits Caramo against a group of former party leaders and longtime donors who govern the trust. It comes 11 months before the November 2024 presidential election. A draft report from Michigan Republican Party insiders reveals that the state party is on the brink of bankruptcy under the leadership of Karamo. 
In only a matter of a few months, the party is essentially non-functional. And worse yet, the party and others associated with the party are now facing potential civil and criminal consequences for breaking laws, the report says. A Republican state lawmaker and former county sheriff was accused by his longtime wife of physical and emotional abuse during their more than 50 years of marriage in divorce documents filed last week in Livingston County Circuit Court. Sheila Bazat, wife of State Representative Bob Bazat of Howe, said in her divorce filing she has, quote, suffered mental, emotional and physical abuse throughout the years of their marriage. In a response filed with the court, Bazat, a second term lawmaker in the Michigan House and prominent figure in Livingston County politics, admitted there had been a breakdown of the marriage, but denied his wife has suffered from any sort of abuse throughout their half century of matrimony. Governor Whitmer has signed bipartisan legislation aimed at ensuring Michiganders have a transparent, responsive state government. The bills will require public officials and candidates seeking elected office to file financial disclosure reports with the Department of State. The bills ensure Michiganders have a transparent, open government by requiring public officials and candidates seeking elected office to file financial disclosure reports with the Department of State. Officials and candidates will also be required to file certain information pertaining to their spouse. The few Republicans hoping to be Michigan's next U.S. Senator grew again during the week with multimillionaire Sandy Pensler declaring his candidacy. In doing so, he joined a circular firing squad that has the candidates attacking the character and qualifications of each other. Pensler attributed the country's moral decline to his professional politician opponents, calling them out for not taking on the tough issues because they're afraid of losing their jobs. Also during the week, former Congressman Mike Rogers said all of his opponents, quote, run for office for all the wrong reasons. And they end up looking a lot more like George Santos than any statesman you'll see. The Gander reported during the week that Rogers, Pensler, and Peter Meyer have made calls to repeal the Affordable Health Care Act, which would result in millions of Michiganders being denied care or losing health insurance. Rogers voted against the Affordable Care Act and described it as a disastrous law. Meyer signed a pledge to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Pensler called the Affordable Care Act a disaster and said he'd repeal it. A repeal of the ACA means 1.3 million Michiganders would lose their insurance and about 1.8 million with pre-existing health conditions could lose critical protection. Link to these stories and other articles of interest are on our website, partyonthepeninsulas.com. For Michigan Democratic Party headquarters in Lansing, I'm Dorian Tyler. Thank you, Dorian. Jeff Timmer used to define what it meant to be a Republican in Michigan. He was the tactician behind multiple successful political campaigns. He ran the state's Republican Party as executive director. He led the gerrymandering of the state in order to give Republicans perpetual control of the legislature and congressional delegation.
Today, he is a senior advisor to the very openly never-Trump group, the Lincoln Project, an alliance of some of the nation's best Republican campaign operatives who are now devoting their efforts to stopping the new mega-Republican party. Timmer talked with our Walt Sorg about his personal evolution and about the larger movement of former top Republicans to stop Trump. Jeff Timmer, welcome to a place where you probably thought you'd never be, a Democratic Party podcast. It's been a long, strange, winding road I've followed this last decade or so. How did you go from executive director of the Michigan Republican Party to a senior advisor with the Lincoln Project devoted to keeping Donald Trump out of the White House? I guess the long story short was... The Kansas City Royals fired Rush Limbaugh and he went back to talk radio. God told Pat Robertson to run for president. The internet and cable news exploded and my former party lost its stinking mind. It was accelerated in 2010 with the rise of the Tea Party in a whole new generation or sect of candidates. And I look back in Michigan, and and that's really when I think Trumpism, what's now recognized as Trumpism, started to take root. And that's not to say that everybody who was part of the Tea Party is uh, a crazy Trump MAGA, but the people like former Republican National Committee man and state representative Dave Ajima, I look at his public proclamations back in 2010, 2011, 2012, and they're very much like the Trump world or the Moms for Liberty or Proud Boys today. And so I think the party was moving in this direction, very theological, very non-ideological, non-public policy related, more social engineering long before Trump. Trump was a catalyst gasoline poured on a fire that had been slowly burning and was starting to burn faster anyway. When you were deeply involved with the Republican Party, you were were in effect running it on a day-to-day basis. The party was, one, a strong competitor, winning a lot of elections, and two, it was financially solvent. Today, it is neither. In fact, it is now being reported that the party's on the verge of bankruptcy. When you look just north of the Capitol down Seymour Avenue to the former headquarters of the party, what do you see? Well, I see the headquarters that we purchased or that was purchased when I ran the the party. I see it's a physical example of the rot, the festering that has taken place in the Republican party in Michigan and nationally, you're right. They're fiscally bankrupt. They're effectively bankrupt and they have been for months. They're ideologically bankrupt, they're policy bankrupt, and they're morally bankrupt. And so I think it's a visual indicator of just where the party stands. It's because of the foresight that we had 15, almost 20 years ago, that building is not actually owned by the party. We foresaw this exact kind of crisis that if the barbarians at the gate, the people with the pitchforks and torches ever took over the party, that they couldn't sell that asset to cover for their deficiency in running a political organization and raising the money to do that. The building has always been owned by an outside trust. The trust is an airtight thing. They're 
Christina Caramo, the crazy corrupt chair of the Republican Party, is trying to sell a building that she doesn't own. Walt, it'd be like me trying to sell your house. And you say, well, you can't sell my house. You don't own it. And that's exactly the situation that the Republican Party finds themselves in. They say they're going to go to court to sue to sell a building that they don't own. And I think uh, we all know how that's going to turn out. They're going to be shown the door by any judge in the state of Michigan. You are a senior advisor at the Lincoln Project, a group of discontented current and or former Republicans who are very high up the food chain. All of you political consultants, you've worked on every presidential campaign pre-Trump since you were in politics. What is your goal for 2024? What's the, the tactic, the game plan? The Lincoln Project was formed almost exactly four years ago in December of 2019 with the purpose of defeating Donald Trump in 2020 and defeating Trumpism, which is this cancer that has spread through the political right, manifesting itself through the mechanism of the Republican Party. It's like invasion of the body snatchers. The parasitic host has taken over what was once a great real political party and has and now become an authoritarian movement controlled by thugs who are intent on subverting free and fair elections, trampling a democracy, ignoring the constitution and violating the rule of law. And so the, the, we were successful, episodically successful in helping defeat Donald Trump in 2020, part of a large national coalition that joined with Joe Biden and the Democrats, even though many of us wouldn't agree with the policies, what the marginal tax rate should be. We might have arguments about that, but on the larger picture of, are we going to remain the great American experiment? We agree with Joe Biden on that. We will again. Uh, Donald Trump was defeated, but he didn't go away. He's back. He'll be the nominee of the Republican Party, and he needs to be defeated again in the 2024 election, which will be uh, historically viewed, I'm certain, as the most consequential election since 1860 when the nation divided and went to war with itself. We will either be able to keep the wheels on this country in 2024 or we won't, and that script is yet to be written. It seems as though some of the advertising that the Lincoln Project places is designed for really for an audience of one. You want Donald Trump to see it and you want to get under his skin. Yes, I, we've not been uh, secretive of, about that. Uh, we run advertising on cable news in West Palm Beach or Bedminster, uh, depending on where uh, Trump decides to ensconce his rather large backside. And it's on Fox News. It's not on MSNBC. Correct. Correct. And just this week, Monday during the day, we started running a new ad talking about how feeble and cognitively impaired Donald Trump is. And by Monday night, he was on his version of Twitter, Truth Social, talking about how the Lincoln Project was using AI to make him look physically bad and make him sound mentally impaired big secret reveal here. We didn't have to use AI. We just used clips of Donald Trump. The Big Macs have made him look physically bad and his insanity uh, and psychosis, his and clear cognitive uh, decline have done the rest. Is your focus totally on the presidential campaign in 2024 or are you also looking at the Congress? Well, we are looking at races below the presidency, but the, the presidency is the preeminent, I think, indicator of how strong our republic will be in 2025. We're focused on the states of Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Arizona, where this race will be decided if, if whoever wins three of those four states is guaranteed 
to be president in 2025. And so we look at them as existential to the future of democracy. And within all of those states, there are critical U.S. Senate races. There are critical congressional races that will control the balance, whether or not there will be pro-Trump, pro-MAGA, anti-American, anti-democracy majorities in the Senate or U.S. House. And so those races are very important. All of those states had key governor's races in 2022, key secretary of state races in 2022, and Lincoln Project played behind-the-scenes roles helping move voters who are like us, former Republicans, center-right and independents, who don't like the Republicans, we had to convince them in many cases to vote for a Democrat, even though they disagree with them on policy or ideological issues. And again, we helped play a role in helping elect Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania, Tony Evers in Wisconsin, and Katie Hobbs as governor of Arizona. And it also makes for some very strange relationships at times or unusual. You are teamed in a podcast with the former 18-year chair of the Michigan Democratic Party, Mark Brewer. Again, something you probably never saw coming. I come from an era of politics, and I think most of the country would like to return to that era of politics where we might have been political foes, but we were never enemies. We agreed on the problems. We disagreed on the steps to fix those problems, and that's where our politics was centered on what should be the way to make our schools better, what should be the way to improve our roads, uh, what should the tax rate be, how much should government spend, how big should government be. Those were the kind of battles we had in those days. You could agree or disagree and still be able to work together to find that compromise that our politics in Michigan and nationally has long thrived on bipartisan, in the end, reforms in solutions to, to problems that that help. There's a role for government, and it's very important, I think, that we get ourselves back to a place where we can have those kinds of arguments. Again, we can't have every election be this constant conflagration of will democracy be viable the next day after the election. And that really involves, does the losing side consent to be governed by the winning side? And that is where things have fallen apart since November of 2020, when Donald Trump and the Republicans lost and just have effectively refused to accept those results. Government cannot function and the Republic cannot survive under those circumstances. As long as we're playing a little bit of true confessions here, you and your good friend Bob LeBrant were probably the two chief drivers of gerrymandering in Michigan in 2001 and 2011, and yet the two of you have come around to the other side and support the reform that was enacted by Michigan voters in 2018. We have, and, and there's, I, I guess there's been an evolution there in the way that is seen. In 2001 and 2011, we were playing hardball power politics using the rules as they existed to try to manipulate the outcome to benefit our side. That's what politics has historically done. The two opposing sides have tried to gain more than their opponents through the political process. And we thought that's what we were doing. I think when you look at an issue like gerrymandering and the effect it has had, when we started this conversation, I talked about the evolution of the party from a 
secular chamber of commerce focused fiscal policy driven Republican Party to a theocratic movement today. And I think that's because the large number of safe, what quote unquote safe districts for Republicans, where you just have to win a primary and you're guaranteed election in November, be it in the legislature or in Congress, has helped drive extremism on the political right. And to be fair, on the political left, there's a huge number of districts across the state and across the country where the the candidates who are ultimately elected in November are only concerned about placating voters in August or whenever their state's primaries are held. And that move away from a politics that's tethered to the center, to the 50-yard line, and is played between the 35 or 40-yard lines of the field, that's where American democracy has thrived. And that's where we've gotten ourselves out of balance and have to get back to. Jeff Timmer, always a pleasure to talk with you. You have a, a great day. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Walt. That's our report for this week. In coming weeks, we'll be carefully tracking the abuses and outrages from Mar-a-Lago. We will use the words of Trump and his inner circle, just the facts. On our website this week, we are adding a page with links to news stories on what Trump and his allies have already said, along with a link to the online version of the special edition of The Atlantic. It will be updated weekly. You might want to bookmark the page. You can find it at partyonthepeninsulas.com. I'm Lavora Barnes. Thank you for listening and for your efforts in support of democracy. We'll be back next week and hope you will be as well. Paid for by the Michigan Democratic Party, 606 Townsend, Lansing, Michigan, 48933.